make you change your mind. Hey, everybody, welcome to the I Said Podcast, episode number six. Today's guest is Barbara Steffen. And Barbara is a fantastic singer and songwriter who has recently come out with her album, The River, available now on her website, www.barbarastephanmusic.com. Barbara is also the singer in the Tabasco Sound Kitchen Band based out of Chicago, Diddy Butts Band based out of Milwaukee, and also plays her duo gig with Peter Mack every Thursday. And she also plays with her band every second Friday of the month at the Packing House, doing a lot of 70s, 60s R&B and soul covers. It's, it's fantastic stuff. In addition to her original music, she also writes music for film and television for full moon productions with Kyle White, who also mixed the album and handled bass, drums, and guitar duties. Barbara also teaches at the Waukesha County Conservatory, and we actually uh, got to discuss methods and what we've learned about teaching towards the end of this podcast. And uh, again, that's probably another podcast we could have done for another three hours just on that subject alone. Uh, but besides that, you know, we talked about her process of writing a song a week or shooting to write a song a week and uh, how she's just continuing to work on new music even after this album has come out. And I can't wait to hear that because this album seriously is one of the most joyous, most gigantic sounding albums I've heard. Um, you know, I listen to a lot of somewhat melancholic and uh, borderline depressing music a lot of the time. But, uh, this album immediately brings me into a space of just joy and peace and fun. You know, it's a giant sounding album. Joe Hyde did an incredible job arranging the horns on it, playing the keys as well. And just, uh, yeah, huge sound. Go check it out. If you want to feel good, go listen to that album. Uh, you can find it on www.barbarastephanmusic.com. You can stream some of the samples. You can also buy the individual tracks or the album on the website. You can also like her Facebook page. Barbara Stephan Music, and as well as the Instagram page. So go support this wonderful artist and singer. Uh, she's an amazing human being all around. So much fun to talk and hang with her. Uh, go see her play at the Packing House. Go see her when she plays with Eddie Butts. Just uh, go support her. Seriously, it's a fun time, and I always walk out of her shows. Even sometimes when I get to sit in there, I always walk out feeling better than I did when I came in. Even if I was feeling good, I walked out feeling even better. So. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Hope to have her on again sometime in the near future. I hope she's uh, working on new music right now in the studio. And go support it. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. So I've had the luxury of being able to play some of the new music that you had written recently, correct? Mm -hmm. That is not on any recording as of yet. Uh-huh. Okay. So what you were telling me last night was that you've been trying to write a song every week. Mm -hmm. How did that come to be a goal of yours and how well has it gone since you established that regimen? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's been going extremely well. I mean, it's kind of a uh, loose structure. Like I don't beat up on myself if I don't actually get one done. But... Um, I, yeah, I mean, I've been successfully doing that for about five weeks now, so I've got five new songs. And what is actually happening is, since I normally write all of my songs with a piano, um, when I bring it to play it with Peter on a gig and in front of an audience, it, it becomes very apparent to me um, maybe where things need to be changed or 
how a song might do better. Like, like last night, I just switched a song from having the bridge be the chorus because after playing it out live, it was very apparent to me that the bridge should be the chorus because it's a really strong hook. So now it's, it's, it's a different form. So even if the song isn't finished or I feel like it's not ready, I will still bring it in and have us play it to a live audience and then that, that seems to be kind of informing where the song needs to go. But that's not normally something that I would usually do. Like I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring in a new song every single week and add it to my duo gig. That's something very new for me. And it's been really fun because it just kind of pushes me to just get it done. But then having said that, I kind of set that goal do, during an extremely creative period that I'm having right now. So, I mean, I'm having ideas after ideas after ideas. I'm, I'm waking up in the morning with complete songs yeah. in my head that I was just dreaming about. So I'm, so I'm also in a, in a huge creative... Um, Sarah's in the world right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm really in it right now. Yeah. So if you were to ask me, if I was trying to add a new original song a week during my summer performing schedule, it would have been a miserable failure right. probably. <laughs> How has that been in the past for you when you've been gigging a ton where you're, let's say you're doing two gigs a week or what have you? Oh God, try uh, like five or six. Oh, so five, okay, yeah, so five or six gigs That's a week. That's what the summer was like, and, yeah. And how's your songwriting, I mean, let's say even if you're not songwriting, are you thinking of ideas during the day? Are you coming up with stuff in the car? Or is your head just totally in performance world? Yeah. Or is it is it a balance <clears throat> of some both? You know? Right. Well, it depends. Like this summer, I had so many new bands going on. So I had um, Live in the Dream, and then I was in a band called Radioactive, and then I was still doing the Chicago jobbing scene thing. And then my duo with Peter, we were still just really getting it rolling. So I had a lot of new music to learn sure. for other people. So a lot of my time practicing was um, learning other people's music, you know, right. learning everything that I needed to, to do. So, yeah, I was, I was still always thinking creatively in my head about song ideas, but I wasn't really sitting at the piano and just, and just you know, banging out song after right. song. It wasn't a practice like it is now. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, again, we talked about last night where gigging or performing and writing and yeah. it's kind of the two mindsets you go into and how sometimes maybe opposed they can be to each other, but how they can also influence each other. Like, have you ever had a good gig where you sung something a certain way, even if it was over somebody else's song, and all of a sudden you came home or you run driving on the way back or something like that, and you said, oh, I should take that kind of melody and, and write something around it, right? Because what's, what's the quote, um, you know, who knows who it was attributed to these days with anybody saying anything, but the quote of uh, good artists borrow, great artists steal, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Something along sure. those lines, right? Sure. So have you ever had those experiences where you hear a melody <laughs> from somebody else and kind of jack it up a little bit and then take it and make it something your own. Absolutely. In yeah. fact, that is like um, the Songwriting 101 class. Yeah. That is actually how I teach people to get into songwriting. Yeah. So what you do is you take an existing chord progression. Of course, chord progressions are not copyrightable. It's the melody and lyrics that are copyrightable. Right. So chord progressions are pretty much free game. So, you know, obviously there are lines, ba different bass lines, hook lines within chord progressions that other people have made up that you, you can't take those. Mm -hmm. um, or if you do, you know, you'll end up in court. But um, taking an existing chord progression, take the, um, 
the melody line of an existing song and then completely turn it on turn it on its head and sing the melody in exactly the opposite way and I'll and I'll show kids how to just graph this out like if the melody starts here and does this rhythm then completely flip it around start the melody down here yeah. and then if it starts off you know three eighth notes and then a quarter note do a quarter note and then three eighth uh, notes and then by the time yeah. you are done and a lot of that and then you're actually teaching kids to analyze songs too sure you know it's like what what kind of theory can you put in with these chord progressions of course now mainstream pop music is just so much of the same four chord thing that it's not as interesting um, for kids, but to get them into songwriting and to feel like they're making progress is probably the best place to start. Right. So it's like, start with these four chords and this melody, turn it upside down on its head, um, find a different subject to write about, and pretty soon you have the makings right. of a song that actually sounds completely different right. than, the, than the original. Well, and we're kind of doing that anyways, right? I mean, you can't not be borrowing from somebody, you know, or, or sometimes outright stealing. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, I think uh, when I started to try to write songs or when I was in bands, people were like, it was always this focus on being, quote, original, which yeah. is, you know, just it's BS. Yeah. Obviously, there's been albums that have come out that have completely changed the game, but you of can some, some way pinpoint their influences in their music. Of course. So with today, in today's pop music, it's, like you're saying, it's very formulaic and... Obviously, there, there, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of songs out there that are really fascinating. The way it's like, oh, this is really simple, but it's, why is this so good? This doesn't mm -hmm. actually really sound, like, it takes a lot of concepts from today's pop music, but it also does something new with it. I'm sure those songs are out there. I'm mm -hmm. not in tune with that right now. I'm sure you are more than I am because of, you know, the songs that you have to learn for bands or teaching uh -huh. younger students. Right. But I bring that up because what have you noticed in the difference between today's pop music and the music that you might have grown up listening to? Because when sure. I hear the Bee Gees... You know, the late seventies. Oh, brilliant! And if I, and if I hear Stevie Wonder, <laughs> yeah, um, that's a far different ballgame, and that it was is. considered to be popular music, of course. So, right. you know, what would you identify as being the differences between yesterday's pop music and mm -hmm. today's pop music, and why has it changed? Yeah, these are excellent questions. Well, <clears throat> I have a lot of different theories about why it's changed, but the um, the music in general that's heard on mainstream radio is so dumbed down right. from what. Um, I grew up with, you know, yeah, the Stevie Wonder and Prince, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and I mean, I sound old right now. I sound like my dad, but, <laughs> but it's true. Like I, I was brought up on jazz standards. I, I took jazz piano lessons for many years. Um, I understand, um, the, the theory behind it. And, um, it's just, it's so the chord progressions specifically, let's just talk about that. The chord progressions are so dumbed down. Right. Um, on the other hand, what I will say about it is there's another kind of artistry that has come out of, if you just had, four, if only thing that existed was four chords, yeah. how many potentialities could you find for different melody lines, different rhythms, different things? I mean, I, the stuff that I do now in, in pop bands, let's take like Feral, someone like Feral, yeah. like Get Lucky or um, Happy, or some of the songs that he's done. Right. There is a certain really cool artistry. Cool yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of really catchy stuff. Yeah. And you can actually go to school and learn about earworms and the psychology behind it. <laughs> and you can actually turn it into a really neurological study oh, yeah. to what is going to make people 
want to buy your music, what's going to make people want to listen to your music. So I think that there is, there is definitely an artistry to it. Um, for me, growing up with music that had so much flavor and depth and, and just, I mean, Stevie Wonder had an astronomical understanding of music theory. Yeah. Whether or not he could even speak about it, I don't know, but that dude was, is, he's like from another planet. And so, but the, I'm not saying that there aren't artists out there creating like oh, that, because sure. there are, but they're just not on mainstream right. radio. Right, right. So, um, I guess finding something to appreciate in, in all the music that's going on out there is probably the, the goal for me. I mean, I can, I'm not sitting around being all crotchety about the For direction sure. that mainstream music it's just driven a lot of the really good stuff underground right yeah and i i was talking with a friend the other day who joined a cover band and we were talking about learning other people's music and, and so i don't really like this like i heard jack and diane the other day and i'm mm -hmm. like oh yikes <laughs> you know because i have to learn it for a band that i just joined right but what it's taught me is that i get to think like the musicians who made that Sure. And I was just talking with somebody the other day about practicing thinking like the musicians who wrote. You know, it's mm, like, cause yeah. we can all just kind of sit down and just like, oh, I'm going to kind of wing it and do it, quote, my way. Yeah. But to actually sit and try to play or, in your case, you know, sing these parts note for note or rhythm for rhythm mm -hmm. um, really forces you to get into their headspace as yeah. to, why did this work? This is genius. You know, yeah. what if I tried it this way, then that doesn't work as well. Yeah. You know, again, it goes Stevie Wonder songs like I had to learn a couple of them over the summer and I'm like I'm trying to play the same exact drum parts this is fucking brilliant yeah you know? and, really uh, brilliant yeah so I I think I've grown into a place myself of just trying to be a little bit less judgmental on music and I never really was like snobbish necessarily mm -hmm. I mean I had my opinions and I thought that some stuff sucked and some stuff didn't but yeah I think uh, I think when I was like 19 or 20 I started to think about what it was like for those people writing the songs mm -hmm. Were, did they really, did they get what they were going for? And if they did, well, then it's a good song. Like, yep, exactly. I don't know. I mean, if they did it, then I guess it's a bad song. But at the end of the day, they're the ones who wrote it. I did it. So yeah. how can I really judge it? Well, and that's, you know, giving other people that creative freedom. Um, and actually, that just means that you're giving yourself that creative freedom because I've, that's a good point. I've sat and beat myself up over, you know, I'll, st I'll spend a day writing music, and then at the end of the day, I'm like, that sucks. I yeah. don't like that. That's stupid. I'm not going to put that out there. Um, and the problem with that is, you know, that's like looking at a toddler who's trying to walk and then going over to them and going, why aren't you walking yet? Right. You know, it's just there's a natural process that we have to let ourselves go through. But I want to speak to your talking about getting in the headspace of, of other artists because this is a really valuable conversation. So what, what I have learned and what has changed for me, so the music that I'm just about to put out on my, on my album, The River, and the music that I'm writing right now, there was a huge shift in my songwriting because I used to think in terms of you know, music theory and what's going to fit with what, and um, I'm, I'm operating with a certain scale, and there was a lot of intellectualism going on. I was definitely in my head. So when you refer to getting into the headspace of another artist, what actually shifted for me was getting into the heart and solar plexus space of another artist. Mm. Because I realized when I'm songwriting from my head, 
the, the ideas are not flowing as well. If I can keep my conscious mind as empty and as blank as possible, because what I realized was in my solar plexus area, in my gut, I can feel what it feels like to sing a really masterfully written song. You know, I've been singing Stevie Wonder, Joss Stone, Alicia Keys. That is like my wheelhouse. That's the stuff I love. Mm. I know in my body, definitely solar plexus area, how it feels to sing a song like that. So now, wow. when I'm songwriting and I sit at the piano and I'm singing something, I am no longer focused in my head. I am focused in the, in the feeling that it is to sing the song from my solar plexus. And it's just totally changed how I'm writing songs. Wow. So when you're sitting down and writing, you're focusing on like summoning for want of a better word, that feeling inside of, yep. rather than just thinking about, well, you know, it should be, it should go like this because I did it like this before. Exactly. And I did it like this before, this is the next logical step. Yep. And, I definitely realized yeah. that thinking was not helping me. Yeah. Thinking is not helping. Do you feel like, I mean, this is, this has probably been talked about ad nauseum with a lot of people who perform in any kind of capacity, but are there times though where you are analyzing a performance and you actually find it working better or no? Is it every single time where you're like sitting there like way up in your head yeah. and it's just like, or is it a head game where it's like you might be performing great, you know, having a great gig and you're still up in your head and you think it sucks and all of a sudden somebody comes up to you and is like, oh, that was incredible. But it's true. because you spent so much time up in your head, you think that it was bad. So there's exactly. all this weird gray area. Ugh. That you know is the bane of the artist's uh, existence right there. Right. Is it sitting up in the up in the mind too much? Yep. Yeah, I've had gig, my most recent gig, I think I played back in November, and we were just doing some, again, like classic Stevie Wonder stuff and um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And oh, God, great band. I had so much fun playing that, and I remember I threw my whole body into it. Yeah. Was like I just stopped thinking, and I could just feel it in feel it over, no pun intended, uh, and I played probably better than I've ever played before. Uh-huh. And not because I was your like, body. Yeah, and not because I was like shredding and all this shit and, you know, everybody in the crowd's going nuts. Yeah. No, I was playing the music with people. Yeah. And there's something about that, and you're fantastic at getting people to, like, rise up and, and, and raise up, and there's something about, like, just embodying that enthusiasm in your body and just expressing it through your playing and through your singing or any, you know, any musician who plays anything. Yeah. And everybody else around in the band starts going, oh yeah, shit, that's, that feels good. Absolutely. You know, and everyone vibes off that. And the next thing you know, you have a good gig. Exactly. You know, it's like, but when everybody's all kind of like, yeah, you didn't play that right. Yeah. You know, right. What are you thinking? Exactly. I didn't play that right. I suck. And also, nobody's moving. It's like, I feel like the key in, in my experiences and the kind of music that we play is that when people are moving in their body and there's a little bit more movement it mm -hmm. feels like everything is flowing a lot easier and the music ends up sounding better than it usually would maybe i'm wrong i could be completely totally biased agree. on that but i totally agree and that's why i feel like musicians and people who love music are seem to be and especially again getting into the more heart and solar plexus area of the body and expressing from there that is to me one of the closest uh, experiences that we can have to what it truly means to be in a human body. Yeah. You know, it's like um, that and probably sex are the, are the two things that are the most powerful experiences that a human being can have. 
I mean, the, it's, it's totally located it's, in the body. It's a human experience right. that is uh, so universal and can be so fulfilling. And yet, to, to think about it is right. not where you want to be at all. I kind of just want to get that out of the way. There's just too much judgment right. up there. Well, yeah, again, you're, you're, you're going in there thinking of how it should be. Yeah. And, well, it, and, and are you ever really going to feel like, even when you finally meet that supposed standard of how it should be, are you really going to feel satisfied? Exactly. Because the whole, the, the whole trick of should is that once you finally get there, you're thinking about the next thing that should be. Exactly. You know, so it's never, you're never really arriving at the place you think you want to be. Exactly. Yeah. How have you learned to embody that? in your songwriting or in your teaching or, or playing out? Like, how have you learned to not necessarily live so much in the should world and live just so much in the this is what it is world and I'm going to create from this moment now rather than from this moment down the road? A lot of reading Eastern philosophy. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot. Like, I, <clears throat> I was at one point in my life so obsessed with Alan Watts that I was listening to every lecture and reading every book that guy had written. Paramahansa, Yogananda, um, people like, uh, oh God, what's his name? Robert Anton Wilson. Um, Ram Dass. Yeah, Ram Dass. Yes, Terrence McKenna. Oh my God. Timothy Leary. These people... You know, Eckhart Tolle, or is it Tolle? I'm not sure. I've never been sure it's Eckhart Tolle. Tolle. Yeah, The Power of Now. Yeah. Um, Yet, getting back into the moment, which which can be astronomically difficult when you're raised in American society, American culture, because we are not um, conditioned to live in the present moment. It's always the, um, the underlying message of the media is you're worthless unless you're striving and achieving. Right. And unless you look like this and you sound like this and you have this, you are not a worthy being. And, you know, for me, I was probably, I was in my late 20s before I ever discovered teachings like Abraham Hicks or, um, you know, Alan Watts. Uh, and it was and it was so freeing because I had I'd grown up in a Christian church and I had never heard the words, you are a divine being and your worth has never been in question, you don't have to strive so hard to be something else other right. than what you are, and this moment doesn't have to be anything else other than that it what it is. And there are so many like I don't know if you've seen the the Jim Carrey footage lately of oh. people just freaking out. They're like Jim Carrey's right. gone crazy. He's losing his mind. He's lost his mind. But I listen to him talk, and I'm like, oh, he totally gets yeah. it. He's just been reading a lot of Buddhism. He's been right. reading a lot of Eastern philosophy. He totally gets it right you know and when he's saying that he doesn't exist what he's saying is that his personality as jim carrey doesn't exist and if you haven't seen jim and andy on netflix you got to check that out i have not i saw but i did see like one of the most recent clips where he was um at like some red carpet fashion yeah. show and yeah that is all that uh-huh. and, you know because what i saw there was somebody who is immersing himself in this kind of material yeah and he has been for a while because i remember he, he, he released a children's book uh, where he was painting, and he painted all the pictures in it, and he was saying something along the lines of, like, you know, this was my way of being mindful, because, you know, he struggled with depression, and, yeah. and um, 
you know, so he's certainly dove into this stuff. And what I saw in that video was him combining that with his, I mean, he's, he's an actor. Yeah. You know, so I imagine he probably just went in there and said, I'm going to like, I'm going to show these people what I'm up to and thinking right now. Like, it's not yeah. like he was just some, oh, he's homeless now. And he walked in here and he's right. losing his mind. He right. called the cops, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, no, he's Jim Carrey. He's trolling you, but he's also speaking a level of truth. He is, yeah, you know, he's really so. speaking truth. Well, yeah. I had to laugh because the lady that he was talking to, and I loved it because it said catastrophe at fashion show at, you know, red carpet. Jim Carrey outburst. I'm like, hey, this, wasn't an, this wasn't an outburst or a catastrophe. He was just speaking about how, you know, that role playing Andy Kaufman oh, yeah, yeah. was a huge click. Did you see Man on the Moon? Uh, no, I, I, I okay. know the gist of it, you know, because... Um, For anybody listening, watching, yeah. anybody listening, watch Man on the Moon. His, uh, he played Andy Kaufman. Um, what actually happened was Andy Kaufman came in and played himself. Really? Jim Carrey was completely out of control. There was no Jim Carrey in there. And everyone on the set was freaking out because they, everyone who had worked, Danny DeVito, oh, the guys from Taxi, yeah. there are interviews with them going, this is Andy Kaufman. There is no way. And this is the freakiest thing that's ever happened to right. me. Yeah. So, um, so when you're talking about, you know, channeling creativity, I actually think that we are, we can be more open vessels than yeah. we have ever imagined that we, that we could be. Well, it's just, what is our focus and what is our intent? That's the thing is like, I, th I think we're doing it anyways. There's that great quote, I don't know who said it, but it's uh, we are who we think others think we are, Oh. <laughs> you know? So yeah. we're all kind of like, we're all kind of doing it anyways yeah. on, on an unconscious level. And I think it's when we make it conscious that it becomes that much more powerful. You know, like David Bowie, who would step into these characters in the early stage of his career, or um, you know, Heath Ledger playing the Joker in the Batman sure. movies. Like, I know he's, and I guess that actually really troubled him was because he got so deep into that character right. that he couldn't separate himself from that character. Yeah, so we got to be careful about the characters we're playing. That's not like... Yeah, I don't there was another quote. I'm not as much of a quote machine as maybe <laughs> I'd like to be sometimes, or when the time is right. But um, oh yeah, we are like we are who we pretend we are. So we really have to be careful about who we pretend we're being. For right? sure, because you know we all want to walk around and think, well, I'm going to show this person who I really am. But it's, I'm would I show this? You know, would I bring up that part of myself to somebody else, or am I just doing it because well, this is who I think this person is? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to act like this because that will, that matches their idea of the universe. Yeah. And I think you know, getting back to what we were talking about being in the moment, like I think that's the kind of society we live in. Is everybody is so image driven and stat. I mean, it's all over the world. It's just who we are as human beings. Mm -hmm. But being so status driven, other so, other cultures are not as intent on this. Yeah, I, I mean. From what I've known, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, Americans, we pretty much are cornered in the we, market we on that. this. Yeah, Whole I mean, there's probably there's got to be some other countries, right, that kind of embody a little bit of that. For but sure. we're, we're we're taking it to a new level. Yeah, we are we're taking champions. it to a new level. Yeah. But yeah, you know, all that image and status and and significance driving is always what brings us out of you know that creativity right now and, and yep. feeling good right now. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's a there's a lawyer in Chicago. Who, and, I, and I wish I could remember his name right now, but he writes a very large volume of, it's called This Book of Music. And it's basically all music law and what, everything that you need to know about the music business. It's astronaut, it's, it's a huge undertaking. I actually had it at, for a period of time. 
Um, and it was a mind-boggling, uh, you know, kind of step-by-step -step guide of the of the music industry and how percentages are split. But either way, you know, it was written from a lawyer's perspective. But I was really taken by the very first page, or one of the very first things this man has to say. He basically says to all artists, don't ever create your music based on what you think an audience wants to hear. Mm. Don't ever do that. Um, always create your music for you. Yeah. Which brings me to another uh, quote that I just heard of Jim Carrey's, which really brings it home, which is, um, your need for approval, no, your need for acceptance in this world will make you invisible. Mm. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this wow. whole trying to That's please awesome. others, wanting to write music that you think an audience is going to hear, don't do that. Always be completely authentic yeah. to yourself. Because even, let's say you write a hit song based on what you think an audience is going to hear, you're going to maybe get that hit song and maybe laugh all the way to the bank. Yeah. But in the end, it's not a part of who you authentically are. You're never going to get that fulfillment. Right. From it. Well, you probably won't feel very good after everything is all said and done. You know, I don't know. After that new Lamborghini, you might, but <laughs> I'm well, just yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be an interesting experience. I wrote a hit song and I made it big, and now I'm gonna go do whatever I want for the yeah, rest of my life. Yeah, true. Maybe true, true. But there was a probably band. be too hard to live with yourself after that. <laughs> yeah, you just go write the music you want to write. Then yeah, I don't know, I'd sell out. You know, it's like people always nag on that, like, oh, you just you sell out. Yeah, true. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> if, yeah. I, if my face doesn't have to be in every magazine. Which, that's that's a good point. You know, I wouldn't want the fame, but I would if I got hired to be in, I don't know, the next big things band. Fuck yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if somebody wants to come and use one of my songs for a car commercial and pay yeah. me a whole ass load of money, uh, yeah, I can't <laughs> yeah. imagine. But money's saying, nice, no. right? Yeah, I like money. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you're saying about you know being authentic and not doing what other people or what you think other people think they want. There's a band called Black Flag. Hardcore punk band in the early '80s, and uh, the guitar player, and I kind of, I think, I think this is kind of cool, and I kind of agree with it. But I liked his drive. He said, "I'm not giving people what they want. I'm giving people what they need." Oh. And I was like, "That's pretty fucking cool." Mm -hmm. um, well, and he might have just been very well giving himself what he needed, very which true. translates into what other people need as well. That's probably what it was. Yeah. But I do like the idea of him being like, "There's not a whole lot of this in the world right now. I'm going to yeah. go and put this out there." Right. You know. I, I, it's like his the 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 drive to go and say I'm gonna go do this like which is why I, anybody who writes songs and fills the albums that are I have mad respect for because it, it takes a lot of work even if people come out with six albums a year and it seems natural to the outside like oh well, they're just naturally gifted they mm. just can write six albums in a year yeah even if that's the case they're still having to show up every day and write the song oh, put the definitely. album together you know and really think about the bigger picture of things. Because otherwise it's just a song that sits on the table and nobody ever hears it. So yeah, yeah I feel like anybody who any do, ever does any of that, putting a band together to go tour, putting a band together to play gigs, their own original music, it's mm -hmm. even if I don't like it, I have major respect for it. Absolutely. It takes guts. It's a huge undertaking. So how have you, because you came off an album about 10 years ago. Yeah. Did you put a band together for that to take out onto the road or into... Milwaukee at all or did you just basically record it and then maybe play it a couple times and what happened with that was um, honestly a complete lack of belief in myself yes I had the band 
I had the musicians, I had the music. It was produced by Joe Puerta, who is someone that I idolized because the band Ambrosia, like I, their songs are to me really amazing. Um, and, and Joe Porta uh, ended up being a really good friend of mine and we still talk regularly. He's just a really awesome guy. Um, but I, at that point, um, you know, those songs were great at the time. I never really fully believed in those songs. Um, not like I do the material that I'm writing now. Yeah. Because I was not coming from a place, I was coming from more of a place then of what are people going to like? Are they going to like this? Uh, are they going to like that? Are they going to buy this? Are they gonna... And that was just uh, a complete lack of maturity on my part. Not really, I mean, all the soul searching in the meditation. And I remember one time um, my dad had asked me, I had just taken another, like, I took a, a huge jump in my musicianship. And this was probably, I want to say, it was shortly after I, I released that album, actually. And the band fell apart, and we never really did anything with it. And, again, it was more of a lack of confidence in myself. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I sang a gig, and my parents had come to the gig, and they maybe hadn't heard me for, I don't know, a year or so. And my dad asked me uh, later on that night, he's like, oh, my God, like you were singing things tonight. That you, I've never heard you sing before and, and what's happening and what are you practicing and what's going on. And what had actually happened was I started a very intense regular meditation practice. Mm -hmm. I was not practicing more music. I had like practiced enough. I was not practicing singing. I wasn't practicing my scales. I wasn't practicing in the traditional musical way. I was meditating and giving my mind the space to actually be able to integrate all of the things that I had learned. Sure. Again, this whole thinking, this frontal lobe, this conscious mind, this blah, 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 this constant thinking about things um, is really a hindrance for creative people. And anyone who's creative is listening to this is going to agree with me. So my practice of meditation, and I was telling you last night when we were sitting there talking about the uh, realization I had listening to the uh, interview with Joni Mitchell, oh, yeah. talking about how it, difficult it was for her to have a romantic relationship because of the sheer amount of time she needed to spend in meditation in order for her to be the songwriter that she was. So this, um, it's really a paradox because what we're kind of operating under here, again, culturally, is this strive, strive, work, work, try harder, try harder, try harder, when actually I have found creatively that the opposite is true. It's a lot of, and I teach this a lot in, in my voice lessons, it's allowing. It is allowing the creativity to come through. It is, it is sitting in this space of emptiness inside where ideas are actually able to get to you. Mm -hmm. It's like if you were sitting in a sea, in a field of energy filled with incredible musical ideas, but you're so busy thinking just bullshit in your head that right. you cannot, for the life of you, get a glimpse of what is actually right in front of you. Right, your attention isn't directed outwards into your environment mm -hmm. or to a conversation that you might be having or, or any of that. You know, I feel like the basis of creativity is the light of awareness expanded outwards. Yeah. You know, it's like when I was a kid, I always, like, hear car alarms going off, and I would be, like, tapping along to them, or, like, trying to yeah, carry right. them, start beatboxing along. <laughs> or, you know... I um, bet you were so cute as a little kid. 
Oh, I bet you were beatboxing to car alarms. That's adorable. Yeah, well, I was just always everything was always a source of creativity. Yeah. You know, I was like every everything that I looked at was like a shot from a movie, okay. or you know, so it was like always like that. Of course, that's just my method of creativity. But I say that because at some point, like you're saying, you have to stop thinking about strategy and just thinking about the world that you're living in or yeah. thinking about the sounds you're hearing and not, not necessarily thinking about them and analyzing as to why they work the way they do because there's obviously a time and place for that. Yeah. But just to really soak it in without necessarily a strong judgment on how yeah. it came to be, where it came from, blah, blah, blah. Because you know, there comes a certain point, I think, in anybody who studies any kind of art form where everything that they hear or see or watch becomes a basis for intense analyzation. You know, mm -hmm. it's like they, they analyze it to death, trying to figure, okay, like when I hear a song now, I don't just like, oh, that's beautiful. I don't just kind of sit there and just listen to it. I sit there and start like trying to come up with all these harmonies or other rhythms and mm -hmm. sing along to it. It's just like, can I just enjoy, and I've gotten this in recent times where I finally get to listen to a song and just hear it and just hear it and not yeah. think about, what could, oh, why do they do that? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? I know. Yeah. Yep, I do. Yeah, that's all, again, what I find, because I have been so guilty of just over-intellectualizing things. So the solar plexus has really um, started to tie me more to the ground. Yeah. You know, it's made me a much more grounded person. If I can focus my energies into my solar plexus versus up in my head, it's almost like a flipping, because because most of our senses are in our heads, you know, our eyes, our, knee, our ears, our nose, our mouths. We get a lot of sensory information from our heads, right. um, which kind of drowns out the sensory information that we're getting in our solar plexus, which is also a huge, I mean, if you study the solar plexus and what's actually going on there, that is more the center of your being hmm. than your head is. It's actually a, almost a larger brain and your heart is, is a larger brain also. So your heart and solar plexus area, there's so much wisdom and things going on down there but it, we can get very distracted you know headwise right right which brings me back to my um what you were talking about earlier with my first album i didn't have the awareness i was still this is really painful to even talk about and kind of embarrassing i was still relying on the audience to hold me up oh sure like i was out playing gigs expecting a certain response from the audience expecting a certain you know uh, thing to be happening and when I wasn't getting it I was like devastated yeah and so I wasn't doing it for me I was do wasn't doing it for the sake of the music I was doing it to get some sort of a response from the audience you know but I don't need that anymore right and now I go to gigs and you've seen me if there's two people I'm fucking giving it my all oh, yeah. if there's 50 people I'm giving it if there's 2,000 people I'm giving it my all every single show is its own show and I no longer care about the audience that's in front of me. I am I am doing it heart and soul. I am in it every single time and I am so in the moment and there's so much joy there. You know, I don't give a shit now, make it or not make it or make a lot of money at it or don't. I, I live in one room. Yeah. <laughs> so that I could just still do music. Like I don't care anymore but back then there was just there was too much in the way for me to really push that album and make it successful well that's the thing it's the challenging part of how can you release 
from yourself when you're feeling empty. Yeah. You know, if you're feeling like there's, well, I need everything out there to fill me. Exactly. How can you release from a place of fullness and, you know, from a place of rich creativity or, or rich thought? Well said. You know, and so it's like, it's, it's a weird, I mean, life is full of all these funny paradoxes, but I think that's one of them where it's like, I, I can't feel good until this fills me up. Right. Well, no, it's just not how it works. It's like you gotta, you fill yourself up and everything starts becoming this cyclical process of fulfillment and exchange. Exactly. And, and um, I, I, I think it's always that with musical performance or a, or a collaboration. Yeah. You know, it's like if I looking at, cause you know what it does is it, it's coming from a place of, anxiety and I've been thinking about this lately where it's like anxiety living from anxiety turns everything into like immovable chess pieces where everything is like this object yep. that you have to either defend or attack against yep. and even if it's like a really positive if something's a positive force in your life if you're thinking about it or acting in a way or that comes from a place of anxiety it's something that you have to attack as if it's not enough or defend it against because it's too much mm -hmm. you know what I'm kind of, you kind of know what I'm saying I do so I it's do. like I, I think especially in, in collaborative situations where it's like oh you're not doing this enough or you're not this kind of you know creative partner it's like is it or how much of it is us not <laughs> stepping up to the plate in our own authentic way allowing somebody else to also yeah be their best and be who they need to be well, if that makes any sense yeah and that's also for me um, what has released most of my anxiety about even being alive is trusting life. Yeah. Trusting, trusting, trusting that, um, trusting in myself, trusting in the, uh, wisdom of, you know, the universe and, and that life does not stop. Life has to flow. Life, life has to be allowed, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, damming up rivers and, and damming up flows, you know, yeah, well, you know, we had to, we had to do it so that we have a source of water or whatever reasons we've decided that we had to do it for right. human survival. We are still interrupting and blocking a flow. Right. So I think of that, yeah, anxiety, fear, being too much in your head, you are just essentially, you're blocking life. Right. And I think that's why it's important to feel those scary feelings or scary emotions or those intense ones, ones that you would, or, you know, any of us would normally say, oh, that's bad. Yeah. You know, or that's, I'm feeling pissed. Well, I'm, I'm, that's not good. Yeah. I should not feel that. Or I'm feeling very scared. Ugh. Shouldn't feel that. It's like, no, no, you probably should feel that. You should. Because, you know, yeah. what's going to happen is that dam eventually, you know, you're not releasing any of that water. Right. That dam is going to keep building and building. And yeah. next thing you know, it's going to break. Exactly. You know? So, and I guess that, you know, it comes back into the creative process of figuring out how you can allow all those feelings to flow and all those thoughts to flow. Just try anything. Yeah. So that your desired outcome becomes more probable rather than, you know, because how many times have you heard these stories of writer's block where people go into the studio and it's like, I wonder what they were blocking within themselves. Right. That, or that didn't allow them to write the album that they wanted to write. Perhaps well, at the time, you know what I'm saying? Or they just weren't in, I mean... Uh, artistically allowing yourself to be in a state of dormancy. I mean, there's, there's seasons to all things. Allowing right. yourself to be in a space of not writing is really important to the space of writing. Right. You know, so signing on to a record label, 
I'm gonna create this many these many albums. You know, yeah. there it might be writer's block. It might be that you need to meditate and take some time for yourself. Go be in nature. Take a trip to the mountains. Right. You know, do something that is really providing all of this space so that the ideas can flow. But you know, periods of being dormant uh, creatively is is not something to be like, oh, you know, I'm not creating, I'm a piece of shit, oh, you know, I have writer's block. Well, maybe you're just in a place of, you know, right. musical hibernation, which maybe has human got being. to be okay. Yeah, yeah, you're a human being. We are not machines. You know, we're not well, we machines. we should be. This is America. Yeah, see, right. Well, you know, I have a student um, who, I think he's like seven or eight, and his mother was like, well, where is he? Where, where should he be? And how are other kids around his age? I'm like, those are not good questions. Right. And I told her straight up, I said, that's not how I teach. That's not how I think. Yeah, good. You know what it says is that you're not worthy. You know, indirectly, right. you're telling, you know, this person is getting told you're not worthy because what you're doing just isn't good enough. Exactly. So you need to you be You shouldn't be where you are. You should be somewhere else. Right. Ugh. And that's like... That's... For, and for a seven-year-old, right, please. Right, no. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking about that with somebody the other day. It's like, it's so huge to give that kind of support and fun to be like, no, you're exactly, you're at where you're at. Yeah. You don't need to be playing 25 minute etudes on stage, you know, to oh, good Lord. Right. auditorium too. You know, I, I have a problem with that today in, in having young kids perform right away. Yeah. You know, I, it's like I teach at a place where they're like really big on recitals mm -hmm. and I don't think that's, if you want to go perform, cool. But I don't push it at all on anybody because Good I don't see you. it as it's not necessary. And I agree. It's not necessary. You're learning. You're learning a language. You know, it's like I took Spanish class for six weeks, and now they're going to drop me off in the middle of Mexico. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm not, I don't need to do that, and I'm not yeah. ready for that. You right. Know? So I, I think it's just so important to. I think learn. you should do it. You should do it. Maybe I should. Yeah, <laughs> I'll drop I'll, you off in the middle of Mexico. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a podcast on that. Okay. Watch Ben Bruns struggle with learning Spanish after he's got dropped off with a blindfold. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, earlier ago, I just mentioned uh, collaborating. I wanted to ask you about your process in the studio with mm -hmm. Kyle and Joe working oh, on this yeah. album. And I, from what I've heard uh, on both ends, from them and you, is that it's a very rich uh, collaboration that yes. ideas flow freely and everyone works together. Why is that? Well, <clears throat> uh, the reason why I think this all came together in the way that it did was because I really powerfully wanted collaborators. And um, when I can really powerfully put an intention out there and I'm not then in my way about it, things seem to kind of magically coalesce in, in really unexpected ways. Yeah. So what was happening was I had been working with Kyle for years on different projects. And then I started writing film and television music for his, for his uh, studio, which was amazing and fun. And we were having just such a good time. It was great. It was the best experience for me as a songwriter to just have a genre assignment, you know, just sure. write some yacht rock, write some eighties rock, write some, uh, you know, write some Motown, write some this, write some that. It was one of the best experiences that I that I could have. And then I was working with Joe on on another project. And the funny thing was, is my my songwriting still hadn't like gelled into this place where it was such an authentic expression of of myself. 
and how I like to sing, like I was still working towards that. You know, people would say finding their own voice or finding their originality or whatever. So working with Joe on a separate project, working with Kyle on a separate project, and then I can't even remember why we did this. I think it was, oh, we were bringing Joe in to listen to some things about the film and television stuff, and we played him some stuff that Kyle and I had worked on, one of my original songs, and Joe went, that's the sound, that's it, we're going this way. And the three of us just started working together, and then Joe started work, uh, working on all of the horn parts wow. for the stuff that's going to come out um, in a few weeks here. And it just coalesced into the most amazing collaboration. These guys are wildly talented. Yeah. And yeah, we just, we sit in the studio together, we're like children, you know? <laughs> we're just like jumping up and down try this. and try that. jumping from instrument to instrument, and oh my God, it's just, yeah, it's such a such an amazing experience, but I think I just really powerfully wanted that kind of collaborative experience and then it just kind of showed up. Did you define the kind of collaboration that you were looking for? Because, you know, you work with a lot of musicians. How is this one different from others? Mm -hmm. um, the intention that I had in the collaboration what I, that I had was, at its core, authenticity. Yeah. I wanted to create something really authentic from within myself and with and with other people who understood that authentic vision yeah you know because as I when I started to write this these songs it became very apparent it was like this fits your voice this fits your style this really fits you you know and I don't know why it was such a struggle to even find that but you know apparently that's just what it happens but um, the I wasn't very specific about you know well, I have to have this kind of person who does this kind of thing. It was more a general, I want to be with people who can really um, authentically bring this stuff to a whole nother level. Right, and hear you yeah. from where you're really coming from. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think that's huge because it's people are so complex and different that you never know the depths of who you're going to be working with. Yep. But to have that standard, like, no matter who I work with, this is the kind of relationship and interaction that I want to have yeah because you know Kyle could be a completely different writer or have a completely different approach than mm -hmm. what he does now but still be the kind of person that you might be looking for in the way that they were open to hearing you for who you were yeah, right totally yeah so how when you, you know you grew up singing you said you were doing jazz yep. and, and you're studying jazz piano yeah so when did you start playing in bands um well I started singing in my dad's band when I was 13, so we were going out and doing taverns. Okay. And then I did that till maybe 17, 18. And then um, I played for a little while in my friend's classic rock band, but really, at 17, I was doing a lot of jazz and musical theater, and I got fired because I couldn't sing classic rock stuff okay. very authentically Could do Boston they really wanted yeah. me to like smoke cigarettes and drink Jack Daniels and sound like Janis Joplin <laughs> but I mean I just couldn't do it and especially at that age I just I had no um I was I was a jazzer I was obsessed with Sarah Vaughan I was listening to Louis Prima and Keely Smith and I was listening to Ella Fitzgerald Nina and, Simone. oh yeah Nina yeah. Simone and I just wasn't in that in that world sure but when I was in my early 20s I auditioned for Wall of Sound and started to sing R&B. And then that really took took off um, into really stylistically learning how to authentically emulate and and perform those kinds of 
style. So Wall of Sound in my early 20s. And then I was in Cold Sweat and the Bruce City Horns for like 10 years. And they were doing a lot of rock and R&B too? Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. okay. So that kind of got you into the rock world. You exactly. Know, into the mold of... So yep. what kind of singers in the rock and roll world were you studying to get you to really feel and embody that stuff a little yeah. bit more? Well, um, I can speak more to that now. Like uh, Ann Wilson from Heart. Okay. Yeah. Um, seriously, Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses. Fuck yeah. Seriously. Voices <laughs> um, one of a kind. Yeah, definitely. And I'm a huge fan of Joss Stone. I love her yeah. so much. I, I love... Uh, listening to her and you know just stylistically how soulful she is I really I really listen to her um, and Alicia Keys uh, yeah and well and I was huge in the 80s into Prince and Michael Jackson okay. like yeah. oh my god love did you ever see guys. him live? I saw Prince a couple of times yeah. how was that? Oh, he's a, he was amazing. That was unbelievable. Oh, that? unbelievable freak of nature. He was one of a kind you know I've, I've heard all these stories of him playing these four-hour gigs and then he gets back to his place in Minneapolis and mm-hmm. then he throws a party where he doesn't even show up ah. or he'd play sometimes he wouldn't even show up he'd be like I'm gonna be there I'm gonna play and all of a sudden everyone comes there and he just doesn't show up right. but then there'd be times where he plays a four-hour gig and he comes back to his uh, uh, what's the place uh, Paisley Park uh-huh. it's called Raspberry Park that's, that's, <laughs> Raspberry, Raspberry Beret it's Raspberry Beret yeah. Yeah, yeah. in Paisley Park yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> so you know but he'd show up and he'd play like another two hours you know so the guy just yeah. and I talked about this on a on the last podcast um, where he said that when he'd be hearing a song, it, it doesn't matter if he was brushing his teeth, he'd put the toothbrush down and he'd go into the other room and he would just immediately start writing and recording. Heck yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He was he's incredible. You know, it's interesting because I hear his music and it's just so unique. I mean, he incorporated a lot of like the '80s drum machines and all that. Yeah, and and it had it. It sounds like the '80s, mm-hmm. you know, but it still sounds like him. It's not like that music is just like, well, who is that? Who did that song? I know that's fucking Prince. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, he's a guy, well, he too. he defined a lot of the sound of the 80s. Oh, yeah. Well, he wrote a lot of those, you know, people don't know that he wrote a lot of the hit songs that you think were oh, written yeah, for by Shaka somebody Khan else. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I, I have mad respect for him and his work. He created so many albums and so many albums that haven't even been released yet. Yeah. So, but he's another classic example of somebody who listened to just tons of different music yeah. And and had a particular goal. And yeah, you can hear that. And when I hear your album, I can hear it's a particular goal. At least it would appear to be a particular goal of joy. Like your music to me oh, yeah. represents a, a kind of deep joy. <laughs> and I don't know if that's you consciously did that or if that's just you know, what you write. But it that's seems very... That's just kind of where I'm at right now. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, and the music I'm putting out now, the new music that I'm about to record is all about... Fun. Yeah. It's just been so fun. The whole process, awesome. writing the songs, going into the studio. I'm having the time of my life. Yeah, it sounds like it. Again, yeah. I hear these songs and it's immediately like, oh, I'm in a better mood. Even oh, if, good. Even if, no matter no matter where I was on a scale of one to ten, like if I was on ten, I got to eleven. Yeah. You know? If I was on one, I'm now on five. You That's know? awesome. So yeah. Well, I'm it, so happy to hear that. It's do you focus your music like that you know like do you sit down and write a song with a particular mood in mind or you just write i just i just now just writing now it's just yeah. kind of what's coming out yeah 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 so i wanted to touch base you know because you also teach at the heartland uh-huh okay. heartland music yes heartland music. County Conservatory. yes so there's a couple of points that we talked about earlier that i wanted to bring around the teaching uh one about confidence mm-hmm. so how do you teach confidence in 
your students? That's an excellent question. Okay, so the first thing that I usually notice with people, and especially with uh, teenagers, is um, a lack of understanding about how they actually learn mm. and how they are um, neurologically wired to learn. So when people are talking about generation, wait, what generation am I? I don't even know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but the new kids coming out, and people are talking about them having ADHD or ADD or any of that bullshit, which I don't even think is real. Yeah. Um, what's happening is they, do, they don't have any un understanding about how their brains actually function. Mm -hmm. So for an example, um, I have a new student who's coming in for just beginning jazz theory. So um, he's got a great ear. He loves beautifully constructed extension cords on the piano and he really wants to learn what's going on but I could see him getting really frustrated and discouraged because one thing that kids don't understand is forgetting and remembering is a natural part of learning which is what I learned from Mark Galbo the brilliant creator of Rock and Roll Academy which I taught for a couple of years um, Forgetting and remembering is completely natural. And what kids are being brought up in school to believe is that they have to remember, they have to remember, they have to remember, remember that everything. you have all these, these tests, right. and then if you don't remember it, you're some sort of piece of shit or whatever. Right. So um, what's also happening is those feelings of frustration are actually just because of a lack of the neurological relationships inside your brain that are just beginning to form. So the repetitive uh, nature of learning is to do something again and do it again and do it again and do it again. And if you have a physiological understanding that your brain is working to construct the relationships inside of your mind that will then make it like an automatic behavior, then you can actually sit and do these things over and over again without some sort of a voice in your head saying, why haven't you learned this yet? You're really slow. Other people are probably learning this a lot faster than right. you. And Wrong again, you, yeah. yeah, and sitting in a classroom and watching <clears throat> another kid picking up something immediately while you are still struggling to form those relationships in your mind without an understanding of how your brain builds relationships, right. you can then begin to decide that you are somehow not worthy. You're maybe right. not good at this. So having kids understand how they learn is a huge part because the last few lessons that I've had with Ryan, he is just so much better. And then when he does get something, he's like, yay. <laughs> but then he isn't so hard on himself right. when now that he understands what is actually happening. Right. Yeah. I always tell my students too, when they're having trouble learning something and they start to get frustrated, I say, get excited because this is part of you moving forward. Yeah, you know, right it's, on. It's like if I'm you... I'm going to use that if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. That. But because you got to turn... They're like crying and I'll turn around and go, this is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? It's yeah, horrible. I know. No, but, you know, I have a student who gets really... Or he used to get really angry. And now when he started getting angry, I would say, all right, let's 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 take that energy because right now you're about to explode. Right. And let's take it and let's explode into it. enthusiasm. Yep. You know? Because yep. if I tell him, I'll tone it down a little bit. Yep. He's like, fuck you. Yep. What are you talking? You know, it's going to completely backfire. So you have to kind of roll with the momentum of things. Yep. But I like what you're saying about, you know, how that's the brain's natural way of, of mm -hmm. developing new connections because 
that's what the body does when you go to the gym and you get tired afterwards. Yeah. You know, that's like... And that's okay. And getting, yeah, getting upset with yourself because you didn't learn it as quickly as you supposedly should have is like getting pissed at yourself because you got tired after you got done working out for right. an hour. exactly. It makes no sense. It makes know? no but sense. But again, we're, we're such status-driven creatures, particularly in the field of education, that if it's not right away, if we didn't learn it right away, there's something wrong with me. So, yeah. so when you're developing confidence, you really make that a point. Right. right to say no this is this is taking time mm-hmm. everything's on track yeah. and because you don't get it in this way or in this time frame doesn't mean that a you're obviously never going to get it or that you're not talented b or that you're not talented yeah. or that you shouldn't learn it mm-hmm. or you can't or any of that stuff it doesn't mean anything that you would tell yourself that would limit yourself yeah you know these are all this is just part of your process mm-hmm. there's there's something else i want to say about that too um there is a, uh, a book called Mindset. Have you read this or heard yes. about that? Okay, good. So this example, and I've, and I've told my students about this just so they have some sort of concept about what I'm saying. So they, they took two math classes of kids around the same age, junior high school age, and they gave them the identical math test. And it was a pretty easy math test. So group A, they, uh, group A and group B took the math test. They all did relatively well. Um, the teacher went into group A and said, hey, you guys all did a great job on this math test. You are really talented at math. And, you know, good job. This, this natural talent that you have is, is really great. To group B, they said, wow, you guys really did great on this math test. You must have worked really hard. You must have studied math to take this test. Good job. So um, then the next step in the test was to ask the kids, do you want to A, go on and take a harder test, or B, go back and look at test scores from other kids who didn't do as well as you did. Mm. Group A, the kids who had been told that they must have been really talented in math, did not want to go on to take the harder math test. All those kids wanted to go back and look at the test results of the kids who had done worse than them. Everyone in group B who had been told they must have worked really hard, wanted to go on and do the next test. So so here's the implications wow. in this. Wow. I do not ever tell my students they are naturally gifted or naturally talented. That's the worst thing you could ever tell a child, yeah. that they have a natural talent. Because what happens if they do strive and they fail mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're not learning things as quickly? Then talented, telling someone they have a natural talent is like telling them that if they all of a sudden decide they're not talented or they find out they're not talented, then then what are they? Right. Self-worth plays into this word huge, yeah. talent. Yeah. But when you tell someone, oh, you must have worked really hard at that, they're going to be willing to just keep putting in the work Right. That is that is going to eventually have to be, you know... Done. I have to keep that in mind. Isn't that, that interesting? Is that. I really yeah, like so that. I acknowledge so the hard work. And after so every single lesson, without fail, adult or a child, I say, thank you for all your hard work today. Yeah. And the work that you will put in, you know, between now and next week's lesson. I love that. I'm yeah. willing to use that. Heck yeah. Yeah. It's a very different vibe. Well, we're going to have to wrap this up. So, your website is under construction, correct? It is, but okay. um, it will be up very soon. Yes. And it is barbarastephanmusic.com. Which... And I will put the link up in the iTunes and SoundCloud pages for what's available. And awesome. when could we expect the album to be coming out? Yeah, it'll come out in a couple of weeks. 
Um, when the website is done, sure. then the music will launch and everything is going to come out at the same time. People so. are going to eat this shit up. I uh, hope so. Thank yes, you, Ben. I, I think they will. Your support means a lot to me because I think you're so talented. So you. I just, I really appreciate you. I love the music. It's great. I love what you do. You oh, Playing with you on Thursday nights, by the way, Barb plays at the Packing House every Thursday every night. Every Thursday, yeah. 6.30 to 10, correct? 6 to 10, yeah. Yeah, 6 to 10. Yeah. And playing with you is always a inspiration and motivation. I don't. I never leave there feeling. Yeah, it's always like awesome. I got some Yay. more, more, more light and energy. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad for people to hear or excited for people to hear your music. Thanks. And um, I will be posting both those links when they're available. Great. And I want to spread the word on this because I want people to feel happy. Thank yes. you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>